while you're doing that, I know that you can do two things at once. Go ahead and open your Bibles, if you have a Bible, to Acts chapter 3, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4 today. So like I said, we're going to move pretty quick through some stuff this morning, but, but we're going to look at two chapters of, of, of Acts today, because um, as I mentioned last week, if you were here, um, people asked me, well, what series are we in? We're not really in a series. We're in a kind of a, a number of different kind of standalone messages that I feel like this is what God wants our church to hear through the summer. And so, so today I've been, been thinking a lot, a lot and praying about this Sunday and, and, and anticipating what God wants to do. And so this morning we're going to talk about the power of God. And when I use that phrase, you're like, power of God, all of us have a certain definition of what that might look like or like what, what is the power of God, and depending on kind of your background. But, but one of the things I know I've discovered from myself, and, and I've, I've followed Jesus for a long time, but there's so many times I will open the Bible and I'll read through a passage and there's something that always haunts me. It doesn't come to mind all the time, but sometimes there's this, this kind of nagging kind of underneath the surface. Like when I read like what we're going to read in Acts 3 and 4, if I'm honest with myself, I say to Jesus, my life doesn't look like that. You know, I mean, that's an amazing story. But, but when I look at that story, I'm like, I, I haven't experienced that. What we're going to read about in a moment is basically uh, Peter and John are on their way to church and God interrupts them. And they pray for a man who gets healed from, from not being able to walk, and then he starts running around and dancing and praising God and gets people's attention. When was the last time on your way to church you were interrupted by a crippled person that you saw God heal? That happens every week, right? And so I, when I read through that, I'm like, God, I, I know you are, the Bible tells us that God doesn't change. God doesn't have certain seasons where he does these miracles and then he, then he goes silent. God doesn't work that way. God is always working throughout human history. And he's working through his power and through miracles. And so, so I don't know where you're coming today. You might be thinking, you know, I've, I've never seen God heal somebody. In fact, I'm kind of jaded, and I don't know if I really even believe that God does miracles. And others are thinking, man, I don't know what kind of church I came today, but I'm already freaked out a little bit because you're going to start talking about stuff that's beyond me. See, the power of God, miracles, are by definition something that is supernatural, which means you and I can't explain it, we can't perform it, we can't contain it, we even can't fully understand it, we just have to embrace it. And I am glad that God is supernatural, because if all you and I had was the natural, then we are done. There's no hope for us. So when we look at this passage this morning, I want to start with just kind of walking through a little bit and looking out, first off, what, what is the reason that God shows up in power, which might give us some insight on why we maybe are jaded or don't experience it, or look at the passage of Scripture and go, God, I don't see that in my life. But, but go ahead, and if you have your Bibles open, let me read the first 10 verses of chapter 3, because the first reality that we experience about kind of the reason behind this power of what God wants to do, and by the way, don't look at the screens, you're not going to have anything on them, you're just going to follow along from your Bible and what I talk about, just to focus in. Sometimes screens can be a little distracting, so I want us to kind of dial in this morning. But the first thing is true, when God's power shows up, when God does something miraculous, it captures our attention. It breaks into the normal, it breaks into the natural, and it becomes supernatural. So listen to what happens to Peter and John. It says in verse 1 of Acts 3, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. They were going to church, in a sense. It's the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of, this, of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. 
And he took uh, him by the hand, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw how walking, uh, him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. God invades a normal rhythm of what Peter and John were doing and does this supernatural reality. In fact, everybody in that day, in that surroundings, in that particular setting knew who this guy was. They had seen him. In fact, they had probably felt guilty on their way to prayer, seeing this guy laid at the temple gate and not doing anything for him. Anybody ever passed by someone in need and felt guilty? You can raise your hand because all of us have. And so it's the same guy who they thought, well, I can't do anything for him. I mean, I can't make him walk, and I can maybe give him a little money. That's what he's asking for, but I can't change his condition. And then Peter and, Peter and John come along, and boom, this same guy who's sitting because he can't walk is now standing, and now he's actually dancing in the temple courts. This is a little bit of a stir going on in the temple at this point. It has grabbed the attention of people. When God breaks through in miraculous power, it's much like an earthquake when it hits Southern California. We know we have earthquakes, but you never know when it's going to show up. Anybody ever remember being in an earthquake like Northridge in 94 and the Whittier quake? And quake? We all have those. Some of you can go back like in the 60s when there were earthquakes. I don't go back that far and remember any of that. But what was it like when you had an earthquake? You didn't think, oh, you know, I think an earthquake's coming. Oh, here it comes. No, none of us react that way. They're trying to get technology to help us to anticipate that. But what happens when an earthquake happens? It shakes you to the core. Because now everything is not normal. Well, I remember the Northridge quake in 94. Kim and I were living in Ventura. And we felt it. I know in Simi Valley, felt it even more. But I mean, it woke me up. I was out of bed. I mean, within five seconds of shaking, I'm like standing under the doorframe praying for Jesus not to take my life. In that moment, Kim still sleeps. That's just Kim. She sleeps through all earthquakes. I don't get it. I'm more anxious. But I remember even that day, I remember because my parents lived out in the valley, lived in, in Van Nuys, and so my grandmother lived in, in, in Van Nuys as well, so a number of family members drove out. I remember my brother-in-law and I were in my grandmother's house, and we were, I mean, her house was destroyed. Nothing was left on the shelves, nothing was on the walls, it was just destroyed. So we're trying to salvage things, and an aftershock hits. You would have never seen two guys run so fast in your entire life. We were out on the front lawn just standing there. Why? Because when an earthquake hits, it, it changes everything. There is no normal life anymore because it's something that's not natural. It's supernatural. So God gets our attention. And some of us, we need God to get our attention, don't we? You can say amen for those of you who are just waking up now. Second thing, look at verses 11 and 12. It not only gets our attention, but it opens our ears to start to listen. So what happens is now now people are a bit stirred. And it says in verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them into the portico called Solomon's, which is like a porch area. And when Peter saw, as he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our power or piety we have made him walk? What's happened? These are a group of people who are going around the daily business of going to prayer at the temple, and suddenly God intervenes with his power. And now, guess what? They want to listen to Peter. They're thinking, Peter, those guys, that guy was crippled, and now he's walking. They, they did, something happened to them. Now, whatever that guy wants to say, I'm going to listen. He's got my attention. And sometimes I think we, we don't realize that we think that God has our attention, but he doesn't. Because we may hear what we think is his voice, but we're not listening with our hearts. We're not really dialed in until something happens, and now we have this ability to say, okay, he's got my attention. 
And I think sometimes we get through the, this, the normal rhythms of faith and Christianity, even going to church and having devotions and doing spiritual things. And in the middle of that, God's trying to get our attention, but we're asleep at the wheel because we're just used to the normal thing of expectation. I remember when I was in elementary school, we went to an assembly, and they said there's, a, there's this really amazing scientist that's going to come and explain science to us. And now, science to a third grader is usually pretty boring. And I remember, oh, man, I'm going to sit through an hour of science? This is terrible. And I remember just thinking, how can I get through an hour assembly just to get to recess? Because that's the whole goal of school when you're in elementary school, right? And I remember I was so amazed when we walked into the auditorium, and we all sat down. It was what I expected at first. It was a guy in a white lab coat, you know, with glasses and everything. Oh, God, this is going to be. And this is before Bill Nye, the science guy, so there was no cool science at that time. And, and so he sits there, and he's got this beaker full of some, something that's causing, like, like, steam to come out. I'm like, that's interesting. And so he pulls out a racquetball, and he throws it against the wall, and he goes, you guys ever seen one of these before? And everyone's like, yeah. He goes, this is a racquetball. It's a rubber ball. You guys play with this all the time. You probably play handball with this. And he goes, do you think I can make this ball shatter into a million pieces? And everyone's like, no, you can't do that. And he takes out some tongs, and he takes the ball with gloves on, and he drops it into liquid nitrogen. He waits a little while, and then with the tongs, he pulls the ball out, and with the glove on, he throws the ball against the wall, and it shatters into a million pieces. That auditorium was silent. He had like three or four hundreds packed in that auditorium, and every kid was on the edge of their seat for the next hour as this guy talked about science. Why? Because he got our attention to the point where, okay, anything he says from this, on, this point out, he is so cool, I am going to listen to him. Right? Think about this. One of the reasons you and I are struggling listening to God is because we haven't experienced God's miraculous power in our lives. There may be in a moment where you experienced healing personally or somebody else experienced it, but uh, honestly, it's worn off. You become jaded. In fact, even in your own mind, you've gone back and you've rehearsed history again and asked the question, did it really happen? And now your faith starts to wane and God is wanting to get our attention again. And then there's, there's a third reality of what this means. So if you go on in the story, you'll see that obviously just like the pattern that keeps, keeps happening in Acts, so Peter and John get arrested. I know it's really bummer when you get arrested for healing a crippled man. But because the Jews, the religious leaders, did not like what they were doing. So they are now arrested, and they come before the Jewish leaders. And this is what's amazing. One of the reasons behind God's power is that ultimately it always points to him. It always points to him. In fact, go ahead and jump over a chapter to chapter 4 and just look at one verse. So now they're before the Jewish leaders telling and explaining themselves about God's power. And it says this in verse 13. It says, now when they saw, talking about the religious leader, leaders, the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astounded. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Just let that settle in for a moment. This is a group of leaders who hated Jesus. They hated him. These are the same leaders that tried to make up a story after Jesus rose from the dead to say they stole the body. Same leaders. They hated Jesus. And now they're having to acknowledge this reality that these guys have been with Jesus. They're, wait, these guys don't have a degree. They're uneducated. And they've been with Jesus. Why? Because they've realized this is pointing where? Not to Peter and John. It's pointing to who? Jesus. It's pointing back to God. And this is significant because sometimes when it comes to miraculous, you know what we, we miss out on? We miss out that, that the miraculous is always a God thing. It's not a man thing. And we, we sometimes, we, we get focused on individuals who God may be using in a powerful way, and we become, we gravitate towards them. How many times do you read through the book of Acts or the Gospels where a miraculous thing happens and people start worshiping the disciples? They're like, whoa, no, don't do that. 
This isn't us, this is God. Why? Because a miracle is always meant to do what? It's, the Bible uses this phrase, it's a sign. What does a sign do? A sign points to something that you have yet to arrive at. It's a, it's a marker that says you're getting close to what you're, you're here for. So a miracle is a sign that doesn't point to the person who performs the miracle. It points to the one who what? Actually did the miracle, and that's God. So put it in these terms. I think we have one of the best sign waivers in all of the country in Simi Valley. You know when you go and you're driving and there's somebody standing on a street corner and someone's selling a new house or it's a local restaurant and someone's standing waving a sign. You know those people? We have the best one in Simi Valley. You know where he is? He stands on the corner of 1st and LA and he works for Domino's Pizza. Anybody know who I'm talking about? You've driven by there? He makes the whole thing fun. I look forward to driving by that intersection every single day. And we look for him. All of our family looks for him. When you're driving down the street, why? Because he'll hold his sign, but when he's, he's holding his sign, he's looking in every car. And if you make eye contact or you wave, he'll point at you. I don't know what it is about a sign guy pointing at you that makes your day. I don't know. It's wild. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like, he's smiling at you. I'm like, hey, I know the sign guy, right? And I'll be honest with you. For the longest time, I didn't know he was for Domino's. I could care less. And I was like, this guy is the greatest. But I'm like, whatever they're doing to market Domino's is not working. Because I don't know what he's doing there other than the fact that he does a, I never read his sign. And finally, I think I saw his hat. I'm like, oh, Domino's Pizza, which is just a block down. And see, sometimes I think we do that. When the miraculous happens, we gravitate towards a personality or a certain experience, not realizing that God's saying, listen, ultimately, this is about my glory. It's about, I want you to know me. I want you to experience me. I want you. So I'm going to demonstrate something that points to something greater, which is me. And then there's a fourth reality of this power and what's the purpose behind it. And that ultimately, it forces a decision. This is where God will go beyond your intellect and your explanations and your arguments. And you're left with, this is either real or this is fake. And there's no middle ground. So listen what happens. Remember, these are guys that could not stand Jesus so listen to what happens to the religious leaders. It says, verse 14 through 17 in chapter 4. It says, but seeing the man who had, uh, was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a noble sign had been performed through them is evident to all that the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may sp not, or spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Do you hear what's happening? Religious leaders who hate Jesus and want to deny everything about him, they cannot get away from, they just witnessed a miracle. But their hearts, hearts are so hard, they said, you guys got to shut up. We can't explain, it's kind of like when they came, the religious leaders came to Jesus and said, you know, okay, John's baptism, is it from God or from man? You know, Jesus kind of turned the tables and they're like, um, wow, if we say it's from God, then why didn't we get involved? If we say it's from man, the people will riot. And so Jesus says, well, if you don't give me an answer by what authority I do, I'm not giving you an answer. Same thing, right? A decision has to be made. That's the reality of why God does miracles is because ultimately people can argue and argue and argue with their intellect about if God exists or doesn't. But when a miracle shows up, there is no argument. You either have to choose to accept it or reject it. There is no middle ground. And if you reject it, the hard part is you can't reject it based on your knowledge because you've just witnessed it. You've just had evidence in front of you that God is doing something miraculous. So when I look at this passage and I start to reflect about what this means, I, there's some observations that come to mind about, God, why is this? Why is this that this is the Bible, and I read through it, and I scratch my head and say, God, why is that not my life? 
You said you would do greater things. The same spirit that was in them, the same spirit that's in you, is the spirit that's in me. Why does it my life not look like this? I don't have all the answers, but I have some observations I want to share with you. The first one is this, and this comes out of this passage. Do we have too much wealth? Are we too wealthy? And you think, wait a second, wait a minute. What does money have to do with healing God's power? So do you remember what happens when Peter and John encounter the crippled man? Do you remember what he's doing? This is an encounter that you and I have probably some of us every week, if not every day, depending on where you work. Here's somebody who cannot make ends meet for themselves asking for a handout. And what is our first response when somebody asks for a handout? One of two things. We either look the other way and feel guilty, or we try to find a way to give them what? Resources. When was the last time somebody came up to you and said, oh, you know what? I really need some food, or I, I need money, or I need clothing. And you could see there was a disability going on. And your first option was find money in your pockets, give them something, or do what everybody does in Simi Valley, send them to the Samaritan Center. Right, Betty? Where are you at? Right? That was your options. When was the last time you encountered somebody and said, you know what, I don't have any money, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but I'll give you the power of God. Peter and John didn't have a whole lot of money. What did they have? They had something better than money. Do you think that maybe we've gotten too wealthy now? We have all these systems of care, which are great, but, but what it does is it squeezes out the fact that all we have is God. What if all we had was God? Which, by the way, was, is, is much like most of the rest of the world. They don't have all the stuff that we have in the United States. They don't have all the resources. They don't have the medical field that we have. They don't, they don't have insurance. They don't have hospitals. They don't have all the things that we have. We don't, they don't have that. All they have is if God doesn't break through, then I'm done. That's why, you know, when you start hearing stories of miracles, not always, but you hear the more, more stories of miracles come outside the United States than inside. Because people are so desperate and they don't have the, the wealth and the prosperity of our nation that all they're left with is God. Peter and John, I don't have money. I got something better. Think about the way that we live our life. Think about poverty. Think about what that means in the need for God. Listen to Jesus in his own words. This is in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. What did Jesus come to do? says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus, Jesus quoting from Isaiah, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. What does that mean? Blind people, oppressed people, poor people, people in prison. What? What ends up happening? They experience miracles. Why? Because they have no other option. They only have God. This is what Jesus says also about poverty in Luke 6, verses 21 and 20, or 20 and 21. It says, he lifted up his eyes and said to his disciples, blessed are you who are poor. When was the last time you thought, I am so blessed to be poor? He says, why? Because for yours is the kingdom of God. You may not have a lot of money, but you have the kingdom of God. And he says, blessed are you who are hungry, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep, for you will laugh. What you have to have a need in order for the need to be fulfilled. When you don't have a need, you don't need the power of God. And I look at my life, and I'll be honest with you. Living in Simi Valley, I don't need God. Can I just be honest with you? On a daily basis, yeah, we go through struggles, and there'll be things, but, but I've got enough support and money and friendship and network and all that kind of stuff. I can go day to day and get by and not be desperate for God to do something in my life. Can you be honest? You can relate just a little bit. You're like, oh, you have a great life. I always need God. Well, then I need to be more spiritual like you. Honestly, we just live a simple, easy life compared to the rest of the world. 
So think about, do we have too much money? Second thing is, do we have too much wisdom? Are we too smart for our own good? What does it say in verse 13 of chapter 4? These were what? Uneducated, ordinary, common men. Who were the most educated people in that day and age? It was the religious leaders. They're the ones that had all the study. They knew the law backwards and forwards. They had all the insight on who God was, and yet they couldn't see a miracle happen in front of them. These two fishermen that had no formal education other than three years with Jesus are the ones that see the power of God show up. Why is that significant? Because I'm convinced I have had this said to me so many times. Pastor John, I, I'm not smart enough. I don't know how it works. I don't have, you, do you know what's going on in my life? I'm not good enough. I mean, the, the sin in my life, God can't use me. And I have so many people say, oh, Pastor John, you pray for them. Why do I need to pray for them? Am I a spiritual giant? Do I walk on water? Not last time that I checked. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, you are qualified. When you read through the book of Acts, it wasn't the, the elite or the few. It was those who surrendered to God's spirit in their life, and God did something amazing. Sometimes I think we overestimate how important, hear me on this, education's not bad, but it can give us a false sense of understanding that actually causes us to miss out on the power of God. What we're a part of, which is called the Pentecostal denomination, Pentecostal movement, which, by the way, I'll talk about that. God never came up with delineations in the church. God, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to establish the evangelical church in America. Never did that. He never said non-denominational, denominational, Pentecostal, non-Pentecostal, Baptist. He did, that's, that's man's creation. But we're part of a movement that started in a group of people who were poor. Pentecostalism started amongst the poor. Why is that? Because the poor are desperate for God when the wealthy have no need for them. It started amongst a bunch of people who were uneducated. Why? Because they didn't have the smarts to know better that you weren't supposed to pray for miracles, right? That was something that God did in the Bible, but he doesn't do that today. Why? you got to go to college to realize that God doesn't do miracles anymore. The more degrees you have on your shelf, the better you are, because the more sophisticated you are, the know that God doesn't do that anymore. That's tongue-in-cheek, that's sarcasm, but that's a reality. That's a theology that many, many in the church believe today. Really? Are you telling me, no offense, that God is schizophrenic? No, honestly. That he changes his personality over time, and now what he used to do and said you were going to do in the future, he no longer does? Honestly, if that's the God that we believe, then God is a liar. Jesus actually said, as he's performing miracles to his disciples, you will do even greater things than these then what was he saying? He was saying that you will see God's power in you greater than I'm demonstrating right in front of you right now. That's God. Are we too educated and are we too, in fact, listen to this. I love, listen to, to talk about wisdom. What did, what did Paul say about this? And first, talk about Paul. Paul is one who, you got to listen to this guy because he was educated, but look at, listen to what he says. Is First uh, Corinthians 1 26 to 29. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of you were no of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What is Paul saying? It's a God thing. It's a God thing. And God works in his people if we're open to it, if we're willing to embrace him. Then there's this, the third reality of a third observation. This is what I come to in my own experience. Have we misunderstood the scriptures? Do we misunderstand the Bible? 
See, because I think what happens is we, we go to extremes. When we read a passage like this, we gravitate towards kind of, I think, two realities. One is we look at it and say, okay, God heals, heals today. God's power shows up. I believe for that. What is the, and we don't use the phrase, but what we're saying is, what are the steps or the formula God uses in this passage that I need to extract so I can repeat the formula? When you read through the Gospels in the book of Acts, you know what you will not find? You will not find a formula for healing. You won't. That's why Jesus healed a million different ways. I mean, come on, it's bizarre when you spit in the ground and make a mud pie and, sl- and smear it on somebody's face. That's not, a, that's not a formula that Jesus is saying, listen, this is how blind people see. It's not. And I think he did that on purpose to say, the power's not in the method. The power is in who? Jesus, to heal people. So, is it, so, so we, we go to that, or we go to the other extreme, which is we think, okay, well, these are great stories about the way God used to work. They're, they're kind of like stories for yesterday, the way God used to work, and we can applaud God, but I don't think that God really works that way. It's like it's some old thing, but, but maybe there's a third category. Maybe what God's trying to get at when he records things in Scripture like this is to remind us that God actually does do this to encourage us to contend for this in our life, to go back to the past to realize that we should be encouraged and have faith in the present to see God break through. Sometimes you, need, you and I need a reminder of what God used to do to, be, to, to have the faith to believe he actually can still do it today. This is the whole concept, pardon this sports analogy, this is the whole concept of a, of a station called ESPN Classic. This is the funniest concept. ESPN has a million different networks. It's the primary sports network on television, but one of them is ESPN Classic, which is based on this. We're going to show a bunch of games that happened in the past that people saw, but they because they might want to watch them again. That's the whole concept. You're thinking, why in the world would I want to watch a game that I watched the first time? I know who wins. I know the the climax. I know all the I know the ins and outs. I know the bad call by the ref. I know you know all that, right? Why would I want to watch it again? I'll I'll find myself turning on ESPN Classic. I'm like, oh, I've seen this game. And I'll stand there, and I'll go, oh, yeah, I remember that part. And then suddenly the remote drops, and I'm on the couch, and I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, I know what comes next. Oh, this is going to be a great shot. And then I end up watching all the way to the end. Anybody relate? Or am I just weird? Why? Because I want to go back to a moment where something powerful and miraculous happened and witness it again. Because then when I watch a, sport, a sporting event that's live, you know what I'm anticipating? Something amazing is going to happen. That's why we watch sports, by the way. Because you don't know who's going to win. You don't know something amazing is going to happen. The same thing is true. Why does the Bible record all these amazing stories? So you and I can go back and in that moment we can capture again what God did so what we can believe today. God still does this and believe that God wants to do it in our lives today. Then there's a final thing, final observation, and that's this question. Have we ignored the Holy Spirit? Have we just ignored him completely and missed the mark? So if you, you I'll have you turn there, but in verse 8, before Peter addresses the religious leaders, and I love this. This phrase gets repeated over and over and over through the book of Acts. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. This is, remember, Acts 3 came after Acts 2, and in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit showed up in power, and and God's people were empowered in such a way that now they were not living under their own authority and power. They were living under the power and authority of Jesus through his Spirit who lived inside of them and empowered them. So Peter heals somebody, by what? The power of the Holy Spirit. And now he speaks through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a common ingredient. Do you get what it is? It's the Holy Spirit. And I think I say that because I, I, I've been around long enough to know 
that when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, even what we would call a Pentecostal church, people start to get nervous. And let me just talk for a moment about what I think causes us to miss out, one of the reasons we miss out on the power of God. Because we live in two extreme realities when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And it keeps us at a distance from what he wants to do. One reality that we live when the Holy Spirit is this, is that we have come up with this understanding somehow that, yeah, I'm open to the Holy Spirit, but in your experience somewhere in your past, something bizarre happened and it was blamed on the Holy Spirit. You were in a service and something weird happened that you didn't understand and it made you feel uncomfortable and so you kind of wrote off the Holy Spirit and said, yeah, you know, I believe in the Father and the Son and maybe sometimes in the Holy Spirit, but man, that was weird. And so when you think of that, you don't want to be anywhere near that. And that's why what's interesting in our church, because people who've come to our church, because we tend to teach through the Bible quite a bit, they don't realize that we're Pentecostal. So when I start talking about the Holy Spirit, they freak out. They thought, oh, we thought you were a Baptist church, or we thought you were reformed in your theology. We thought, and then you start talking about the Holy Spirit. Now you're making me uncomfortable. Maybe the reason you walked in the doors of Antioch is because God's wanting to challenge your assumption about who the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to do in your life. What I've experienced in my life is that the Holy Spirit isn't weird. People are weird. <laughs> Our response to God can be strange. But what happens is when people take human responses to God and say, that's God, that's when we get weird. Because then they start replicating the experience. Oh, you got to laugh, otherwise it's not the Holy Spirit. You got to fall down or it's not the Holy Spirit. No, 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 you just have to submit to God. Don't worry about somebody else's response to the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do what they do. You just need to submit to God and let him do what he wants to do. I'll tell you, in my life, I've been prayed for so many times for different things, if it's physical, if it's emotional, and I've asked God, honestly, this has been my prayer, God, would you please just knock me on my butt so I can be like everybody else and say, I fell down under the power of the Holy Spirit. It hasn't happened yet. And I even try to make myself, you know, a little woozy so I would fall. And it didn't happen. But I've watched other people experience it. And God says, you don't have to have that to experience my power in your life. Don't try to replicate what you think is my power. Just surrender to it. And if we let God define what it looks like, then let God do it. Then there's the other side. And that is when we get weird. Can I just be honest? I grew up in Foursquare where we are a Pentecostal denomination, which means we're open to the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. But I have seen some really strange stuff in my life. And I'll be honest with you, I'm like, that is just doing the opposite of what's supposed to do. It is the sign getting in in the way of God who is supposed to point to. Can you just knock off that nonsense and let God do what he wants to do? And so what happens is we think the weirder, the better. The more strange happens, the more power of God shows up. And that's not true. We miss it. Because in our church, I've had people tell me we are too Pentecostal and we are not Pentecostal enough. You can't please anybody. I don't want to be Pentecostal. I want to follow Jesus. I don't care about titles. People are, what kind of church are you, a Pentecostal church? I don't care. The word Pentecostal is something we have given ourselves as a label to delineate a difference between those who don't, are not necessarily open to the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be called Pentecostal. I want to be known as a follower of Jesus. Why? Because this is very biblical. So, oh, this is not biblical. Read the Bible without any commentary helps and anybody else telling you what to believe, and you will come away with a conclusion. God's Spirit is eternal, and He works today in power in people's lives. Amen. Little side note, I'm probably, probably going to get in trouble. This is, the, this is the journey of Francis Chan at Cornerstone, by the way. If you haven't heard his testimony, 
he got rid of all the helps that told him what to believe about the Bible, and he got alone with the Scriptures, and as a non-Pentecostal, he came to this conclusion. There is a Holy Spirit who is alive today that I have yet to know who he is. That's the journey. Why? Because the Bible will reveal to you through who? Guess who? The Holy Spirit that God still works in power today. Now, with all that being said, I'm going to ask if the, whole, the worship team would come and join. Yes, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to join us, too, but the Holy Spirit's <laughs> going to come first. I mean, the worship team's going to come first. Yes, worship team, please. They're like, we're the Holy Spirit. Thank you for inviting us today. But, but what I want to do in, in the next few moments as we conclude, we have, we have a little bit of time, and this is really what the focus is of today, is that I want to, I want to give some space for God to come and work by his power according to his purpose in our life today. So um, in a moment, I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to have you stand, and we're going to go into a song called Miracles, um, which some of you might be familiar with. But, but, but once we're going to that song a little bit, I'm going I'm to pause, because what I want us to do is twofold. I want us to pray for people to be healed today, because I believe God wants to heal. In fact, there are four people that got healed for a service. There was one person who came to me right after service and said, listen, I have been struggling with all kinds of internal female problems, and I have been in constant pain. And when we prayed, the pain disappeared. She came up in tears. I'm convinced God wants to heal. Second thing, when the Holy Spirit comes, you know what he does? He gives us what we call spiritual gifts. He gives giftings to people in order for God to work through them for God's purpose. So when we pray for healing, I'm also I'm going to pray for people, for God to give you the gift of healing or the gift of faith that believes that God can actually heal and God can actually heal through you. You're just the conduit that God wants to give the gift so he can heal people, but he can use us to do that. I'm going to ask you if you would stand right now and I'm going to pray. And then as the music plays, I want you just to, you're going to be praying on your own and we're not going to pray for healing yet. I'll give you direction for that. But, but what I want us to do in these next few moments before we go to that, that time of praying for healing is I believe that there's some barriers there's some resistance. There's some things that God wants to deal with about your own journey, about whether you really believe in God's power. So there's some roadblocks, I believe, in the next few moments that God wants to begin to move. He's not asking you to leave your brain at the door. He's not asking you to do something crazy. He's asking you to listen. Listen to what he's speaking because you right now can even feel it inside of you. There's a, almost for some, it's an anxiety that you're like, I don't want to go down that road, but I know something inside of me is drawing me because I know God wants to do something powerful. In the next few moments, would you let God deal with that? In fact, Lord Jesus, we ask by your spirit, Lord, we can be people who can be pretty hard-headed. We can be pretty resistant. We can pull back even when we've witnessed things because, Lord, we just don't, we want to, we don't want to believe. I pray right now that you would fill this room with faith, not ignorance and, and not kind of being some kind of a naive kind of approach, but Lord, would you fill us with faith that says, I believe, Jesus, that you can bring by your power transformation in my life and in my body and in the lives of other people in this place. And as we begin to believe that, Lord, and we go towards prayer, would you build the faith in this room in such a powerful way, Lord, that we, with anticipation, believe that when we pray, we will see you answer prayer. So Jesus, would you come now and next few moments just speak to us, work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen.